my baking background would have come back from we were raised through whole food macrobiotics in the 70s and my mother used to make bread by leaving cooked organic brown rice out on the counter for around three days and the hsc will be going mad going wah, 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 yes, there's bacteria anyway the bacteria will start overtaking it and then mixing that through with freshly milled uh, wholemeal flour uh, and then she used to leave it up and it rises and you'd have really good bread within a few hours the bacteria that have overtaken the rice so that was the kind of bread that would have we would have grown up with kind of the lingering food memory for me is arriving home from school in the 70s and there's a little bowl of miso soup because there wasn't much around in the 70s fresh miso soup with a scallion and carrot chopped through it and a few slices of this brown bread with like naturally fermented sourdough wholemeal bread and a bit of uh what used to have tahini sauce on the side and it's just this lingering memory of arriving home to that freshest of food but really simple just having carrots, scallions, miso soup, and a freshly made bread. Who is talking today, Jack? That is Joe Fitzmaurice from uh, Rock- Riot Rye Bakery. Tell me about Riot Rye. Well, Riot Rye, they're based up in the Clock Jordan Eco Village. And I they. I've that place, but I don't know much about it. Yeah, wonderful. Really, really cool place. Really interesting. They, um, they make bread, they sell mm-hmm. bread to their community around them. But they also do a lot of education. They do classes. You can go there and learn how to make bread. And they also facilitate the sale of a lot of local flour that's grown from with different farmers. Great. Sounds like a really uh, interesting guy to talk about. So what are we going to chat to Joe about? Yeah, so, well, my main reason for wanting to chat to Joe was because Joe, when I heard his story, I chatted to him a couple of months ago, and he was talking about how he kind of grew as a baker, was making everything the proper way, and then was exploring how to make larger amounts and just kind of pulled the plug one day and said mm-hmm. I'm done with this and him and Julie his partner in Riot Rye headed off into the Midlands and said damn this we're just going to make enough bread to feed the community and make it the right way you know so Fair play. what we chatted about was what is real bread we chatted about the Irish baking culture and how it's evolving okay. we got stuck into sourdough and how pasteurizing your leaven is, is basically not it's not alive anymore What's going on with all the small bakeries emerging, how a local bakery can be a hub of employment and nutrition, and what life is really like for a baker. Sounds good. Looking forward to listening. Here's Joe. So, Joe, do you know what we've called this podcast? What the name? So I'm, I'm calling it the parable of the local bakery. Okay. And what I mean by that is I had this idea that... Local bakeries are emerging in smaller communities, exactly like you're explaining right now. They are sustainable. The economics functions. They are creating happy work. They are nourishing the people around them and they're having a spill-on effect where they are getting people access to wholesome, really good quality, good-tasting bread that in turn people are saying, I'm not going to put crap jam on that or I'm not going to put a crap poached egg on. And suddenly then, because you've got good bread all the time in your house, you're now looking to maybe improve the quality of this thing and that thing's getting a little bit better. So what I wanted to kind of chat to you about is I, I actually built this idea for this podcast after chatting to you because, you know, we were we were on a thing there about a month ago. Yeah. And you were telling me what, about what you did and you made the decision to do this long before it became a bit of a trend. And maybe it's not a trend yet and maybe I'm mad. 
But I'm seeing it. I'm seeing more and more smaller bakeries opening up without the intention of becoming an export, a medium to large scale, a mass produced. It's about keeping it smaller. So the main kind of question, I suppose, on the backbone of this thought that I've had is, do you think I'm mad or do you think it's true? Do you think there can be a micro bakery in every small community across Ireland that is only servicing that small community with good bread, different types, pastries, different pieces, and that local people can come buy bread at the right price for getting good nutrition and create great jobs along the way that are really enjoyable. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, it is happening. And you're seeing them. We have Chris in Wild, Wild Flower. They opened mm-hmm. up. Yeah, uh, and Shannon. Yeah, uh, this week. And there's bakeries opening up all the time. And, and people are realizing that there is a market for it and that it's no longer just seen as something you know to hold other food together bread mm. there's a big focus on nutrition within it uh, and the quality of the flour that people are going to be using because the bakers themselves are knowing that they are nourishing their local communities and we have that uh, uh recognizing like the people within your local community like i we have kids locally here and the only bread they would have eaten in their lives is our bread and like so we have a huge responsibility to them that the nutritional quality of the bread that we produce is important and that they're not going to miss out on those nutrients because now they're, we've been here 10 years. And so like we could deliver their bread to their door three times a week and it is the bread mm. that they use. And bakers across the country are moving it. They want organic flour or if it's, it's not organic, they want it produced uh, without synthetic industrial chemicals on it that may remain. They're caring for the earth because they see the environment that they're around in and uh, there is a vi- they are viable economically they do need to be supported by the local economies within that but uh, I remember being over in CAT uh, Centre of Alternative Technologies a few years ago before we uh, moved down here and they did a study and they reckon that local community needs about 2,000 uh, 2, residents for it to thrive and that's enough that will support a butcher, baker, mechanic and all the different parts of it, there's enough, uh, enough within that economy. Uh, where they are smaller than that, I suppose, then maybe they'll have to be, uh, they might have to expand that region out and deliver yeah, to small local. With another, with another yeah, community, maybe. Exactly. There might be a small town uh, beside them that they might deliver into cafes there, or somebody might be retailing their uh, their goods through their small cafes, and they both support each other. Hmm. And uh, and even like within that, they can support each other by the foods that may be being produced in those small uh, other local towns will be getting uh, used within their bakeries. Like we, uh, I suppose like on our courses, we would use Crawford's milk, which is produced up the road. There's wild orange foragers, cheese from Mossfield in Burr. And then like the Red Gardens, they're producing our veg. And they'll supply the lunch on, on our course. So it's not only that the bakeries themselves are producing, they're buying in. And you just, you see their shelves now and their delicatessens. They'll be buying in, you know, all the spreads that are being made locally. If there's coffee's being roasted locally, they're using them. And it really is about supporting those uh, other uh, vibrant uh, uh, producers that are locally uh, to them. Yeah, and they're absolutely vital. Can I ask you, Joe, what like if someone who was listening to this would be interested in saying geez i might want to become a baker but i don't really want to get up at 2 a.m i don't really want to be absolutely 
destroyed and my back wrecked and I, I, you know, I want to have a life with my family and I want to be able to, to, to go out on a, a Friday evening and not fall asleep at eight o'clock before the main course arrives. Can you give me an indication in terms of this new bakery, right? This new community bakery that's opening up Chris down in Inna Shannon with Wildflower and Seagull and all these different places around the country that are doing just this. What, what's involved in being a baker if someone wanted to go that way for their career? What's, what's it like? Well, for us, I never worked bakers through the night. And that was the thing. I, as I said, I used to work offshore and experience of working night shifts. And that is completely not resilient. And it's not a way to live your life. Uh, you work a night shift, you're wrecked the next day. And you'll usually end up saying that it's the people who own the bakeries don't do the night shifts. And they'll work other people for profit and let them have a harder life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a poster inside from the 1850s. And there was a movement of don't eat bread baked by night. So just because you'd want to sate your appetite, just because the bread will taste absolutely gorgeous, just as it comes out of the oven, it'll be no less nutri- nutritionally deficient within a few hours later. So we always bake during the day. And so I, I start my day off. I get up around uh, half six, start going to the bakery around seven o'clock, usually put a mix on. And as an auto lease, I'll go out for a run around the eco village back around 20 minutes later put the salt in that's the mix on i can go up and have a shower get ready to go in i start my day and i build that into the start of the day to get some exercise and then as the day goes on and then we finish in baking in the evening time and then like when we had our big bakeries in dublin i'd make sure everybody was finished by 10 o'clock all the bread wrapped up and closed delivered first thing the next morning and then people can get their bread the next morning the idea of hyper fresh bread neck coming out now it is good like i know like tartine and, and, and a few bakeries are starting to do it where you're getting bread throughout the day so bread you're, mm. you're buying your bread at three o'clock in the afternoon you're getting it's just fresh just out of the oven mm. and bakers are working those shifts and you know so you're pulling it out of the oven you're going there uh, you don't need you, people have toast for breakfast yeah so it's day old bread you don't toast the bread that's just come straight out of the oven so you can buy your bread and have that for your lunch. So the bakers can be getting up at a reason. Like when I worked in in Dublin, I used to, starting out in blazing salads, I used to get up. It was about half five. I start around six o'clock. And I really liked, I lived in the city centre. It was great. I get into work just as dawn was coming up and it's a nice time of the day. And you start your, your mixes off and you'd be all the bread on the shelf by 10, half 10, 12 o'clock lunchtime is coming you've finished your day by half three off to the beach jump in the sea have a swim and start your day again mm. and there definitely are systems without pushing people through the night uh, the idea of the baguette which was only invented in the, in the 1950s was because bakers couldn't work through the night and that they needed a bread that could be made really quickly and mm. so that the baguette which can be baked but they stale within a day and, and apparently in france they throw out masses of baguettes people mm. don't eat they don't eat them but the large hearth breads, the large sourdough breads, which keep three, four, five days, like the rye bread I make, you don't want to be cutting it for a day. And it's only coming into its own after day three, mm. day four. You know, these, so we start consciously making foods that last a long time. And that and the people around, and I've had no problem selling breads. And people know that they get the breads and mm. it keeps us yeah, going. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. it's a great job. It's enjoyable work. It's it hard. Is. It's physically hard. It's physically yeah. hard. Yeah. And it it's is. In, like, yeah. It's satisfying work. It is um, 
economically viable Absolutely. to get yeah. a, a bakery going. It's it's very much a sustainable business over time. Um, it justifies help. Like you can you can afford to have people coming in and working with you and helping you if your community is is big enough to to sustain that. What is from from a customer's point of view engaging with one of these smaller bakeries? Um, can we just talk? Okay, what's the difference between the par baked bread you're going to get in Lidl or or any other supermarket versus going into a local actual artisan bakery? Well, the fantastic thing, the thing I really like is that it's non-homogenized and it's going to be an expression of the person who's making it. The choices, were because as a baker, you're really limited. You know, we're given wheat, rye, and then maybe people are starting to use spelt or some other ones, and then maybe a few seeds. That's like going to a chef and saying, here's a carrot and a turnip. That's you for the next 20 years. What are you going to do with it? And this is what bakers do. We can, we literally have wheat, rye, and then maybe some other small amounts. And the thousands of types of breads we've been able to produce by these really limited types of flour. Now, within those wheats, there are huge amounts of varieties within the wheat and the rye. But by uh, fermenting them in different ways, removing some different portions of bran and germ, the different flavors we can create with the different mixes. And so when you go into a bakery, what they're producing there will be an expression of that bakery and the person which is producing it. And this is a wonderful part for me. You know, as a species, we are creative within ourselves. And for a baker for a baker to be able to do that, to be able to get up in the morning and go into a place and create and then give that to somebody and a person consumes that and eats that. And it's like, it's just an amazing feeling. You've created something that people then enjoy and then they come back the next day and they want more of it and you bring joy to their lives and this reciprocal relationship then you have within it you've t- you know you're nourishing them and you're making things that people want it's, it's yeah against an industrial system like the large baker i was in when, when and he sat down in germany and he said yeah this uh, we've got four operatives and we're going to produce tens of thousands of loaves of bread a day in this power bake bake and shipping it all over and a baker we usually build it on around 200 loaves a day, a skilled baker usually produces. And then as you go up through that, we build in more and more as you, as you expand into that. So, you know, you know, so we create so much more employment locally when you, when you are doing that. And you, you know the people. You walk into the shop and you, you know the names. I produce breads. And I knew like Pauline did when she was cross the road in Stony Batter. Uh, depending on if it's uh, how well it's done, so depending on which bread was in what part of the oven, a different person would get that bread. And well, I have I've that always said this, that yeah. for me, the best, best, best thing about eating artisan food and buying it from people who've made it themselves is that it's never going to be the same. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but there is nothing more depressing to think that the goal of the manufacturer is consistency to yeah. the level of homogenization. It's so boring. It's Absolutely. It's so boring. Yeah, you know anybody would gawk at the thought of being fed the same thing every single day, but yet it doesn't seem to get compared with the fact that that's what a, the goal is a lot of the time. If you go to anybody who is making something by hand, they will not make it the same way more than twice. So I think that that's a really lovely benefit of actually buying things from people who've made it by hand. I wanted to dip into something else that's particularly exciting that comes alongside the bakery. And it's part of the parable as well that I was mentioning about before, which is with Irish bakers comes the want for Irish grain. Where are we at the moment 
with the thought that we have an Irish bread culture. And actually, just one quick point is that Ireland doesn't really have a historical bread culture. We didn't have sustainable mill milling systems. We didn't have uh, the organized agriculture to deal with it. That's why we're famous for potatoes, because we were growing potatoes because they're easy to grow and you can use them in kind of random parts of land. But as bread now becomes such a strong culture here, where are we with Irish grain? Yeah, we're here now, finally. It's, it's been a tr transition which has been going on a long time and we've been pushing it, but there are a huge amount of different growers and I'm constantly going to different meetings with growers who are bringing grain uh, to the fore now and uh, you're getting it, especially the uh, commercial bakeries we're having access. So you'd have Kells Mills are growing Olins and around Kilkenny we have... Uh, Oak Forest Mills doing amazing spelt and einkorn. We use uh, Andrew Workman from Donani. Donani flour. We would use them on all our courses and within our bread. Their rye and mm. their uh, their wheat. Their, their wheat is really soft, so really not so not giving the kind of breads that people are usually expecting these large loaves. But you can't do it, but it's much more difficult. And this is why we always find a place for using imported strong flour can give can. By blending them together, um, you know, we, we can make breads that people want. Because I was talking to a grower there and uh, they were saying, if bakeries were just using 10% Irish flour, and it would hardly be noticed even with the qualities, you know, even with these soft grains, and that, mm. that would have it's just a massive uh, impact on the, the of the grains and what they would need to be selling. Mm. So just maybe just 10%. So it doesn't have to be this absolutely, this is an Irish loaf of bread, you know. Mm. And there's this changing or single variety grains and all this kind of stuff by just using portions of it within their overall breads. And that's what I saw when I saw in the UK, where they've got a really thriving local grain economy coming on in the UK. But the bakeries were making, they started out making one or two loaves out of their range of 10 or 12. Then they're just using portions of it. And they'd have like one or two loaves would be 100% local ones, but they're using maybe a portion of wheat right across or their rye, which may be only 10 or 20% of the, the overall loaf, right across, and that can be local. And it's not going to really change because the people as well, the people eating the bread, they have to go on this journey with us. And if we have time, I tell you, like, there's a lovely story, and she inspires me all the time, Sarah down in, in Tremor and Seagull Bakery. Mm, I know and her really well. Yeah, started out in her back and then doing a market stall, and then from the market stall, doing the odd festival and slowly getting bigger and bigger. And bringing along a local community with her she opens up eventually on her shop front and then the local grower comes in and offers her some locally grown square head master which is a very old heritage grain mm. and they produced these beautiful loaves of bread mm. and people all the locals go that's amazing it grew out of that field by that they knew the grower as well mm. they all wanted so the next year they came through completely different the climate wasn't the same as the year before much more dense loaves the people went why is that? I want to try that loaf of bread because it's different. Mm. And because they had been on this journey with her and it wasn't just coming in and expecting a homogenized loaf from one year to the next, they knew, wow, it's different. We can have these different breads. So by bringing the people eating the breads with us as well and it is a really important part. So bringing together like the growers and the millers who are having the conversations with the bakers and the bakers having those conversations with the people who are eating. And the only way of doing that is either through that face-to-face -face relationship, either through a bakery within a town or through a market store, and that direct sales relationship mm -hmm. where your conversation with the, 
and you have those direct links. And then the bakers are also talking with the growers and the millers within that. So we're all moving the food from one to the next. And that's like, she, that kind of story really inspires me and shows that it is possible to be having, uh, you know, uh, doing it. And it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely happening in Ireland right now. And some amazing grains are going to be coming on, especially over the next two, three, four years. Joe, sourdough is bullshit. Well, okay, the terminology and people have this idea of you know the word sourdough, and that's why we would talk about uh, naturally fermented breads because uh, there was a good few years ago that uh, all of a sudden we started getting this word sourdough appearing on sliced pans in supermarkets, mm. and usually. I just let the people, the large industrial bakers, do what you're doing because you're in a completely different space. And but that was kind of a bit much because what we were having, especially on our courses, we were getting people and we come in with a why are you here and you're here to learn. And that uh, an awful lot of people were saying they're here because they're having difficulty digesting industrially produced breads. And they wanted and they'd heard from either dietitians or doctors to be to eat sourdough along fermented breads. Because part of that process, the bacteria break down the gluten structure. So it's much easier to digest. And that would be a part of naturally fermented breads. And so people would think they're sourdough. So what is happening is you can buy pasteurized sourdough powder. So you can get sourdough as a starter. You can ferment your flour and then kill it and just turn it into a, a powder. And then that can be thrown into ingredient, into breads and you can call them sourdough. So when the large... Uh, Industrial bakeries start producing these sliced pans of sourdough into it. We sent a complaint into the FSAI and they came back and initially said, yes, absolutely, we agree. There should be a regulation around that, that we agree that it should be long fermented and there should be at least a bacterial process. People focus on yeasts, but sourdough is a lacto-fermented, so it's a lactobacillus bacteria, which is a really part, important part of the process. So then they went off to, the, to Brussels and applied to the EU and said, what's the story with this? Because within uh, it's the equal transference of goods if things were coming from the EU into Ireland and were labelled as sourdough. So if uh, one regulation in one country has to apply, kind of EU, and the EU came back with no, there's no way. Uh, it's not a regulated term, and the word sourdough is not a regulated term. So you can take this pasteurised sourdough powder and you can call it as an, an ingredient. So like I make a walnut bread, I put walnuts into it, so I can call it a walnut bread. So you can get pasteurized sourdough powder and throw it into a yeasted loaf or into anything and call it a sourdough bread without any fermentation. And so which you can just have a which, yeasted bread and call it sourdough. Which is happening a, a lot. A within lot the, across yeah, the board. Absolutely. Yeah. So you ask us why we also have the difficulty of unwrapped baked goods. You do not have to display the ingredients anywhere. Mm. And they have to, so you go into a shop and you will see, you see a bread just called sourdough and you kind of go, there's no ingredients. I can't even look at it to see if it's yeast-based or not. But because it's not there. And supposedly somewhere in the store they have to have it. But then they uh, never usually do whenever I've asked. So there was no way of actually knowing if this bread was naturally fermented. Just because it has to have sourdough. This yeah. is why we bread, buy bread from a baker. So when you're getting it, if you buy bread and you ask them, is that sourdough? And someone has gone to all the trouble to make it, you won't get out of the place. Because they'd be dragging it in the back and getting it to smell the stuff in it. Because we are so enthusiastic about the bread that we make. They, you, they will absolutely uh, tell you about it. So we buy from a baker rather than just a large, 
Yeah. Okay, so clearing up the terminology, sourdough naturally fermented, speaking to a baker, asking, is this loaf of bread naturally fermented? No added yeast. Yeah. Essentially, that is the crux of this whole point. Sourdough, you can add 10% sourdough, 90% yeast into flour and water, and you can make a loaf of bread and you can call it a loaf of sourdough, but really it's got well, 90% you, the, of its rice. The, the, where, the in, where the industrial ones they're putting in, it's pasteurized. So it's just back, it's just flour again, mm-hmm. but it had originally been f- fermented. So the bacteria have been completely killed. So they're playing no role within. Mm-hmm. And it's a really important part of the role bacteria plays within mm-hmm. natural fermentation. Yeah. We would also have those other terms that are going around, like real bread. And we have that in, in the case of, so real bread is bread made without any synthetic inputs. So soda breads aren't considered real bread within that context. Or else the large industrial produced ones. So if you're putting in crumb softeners or uh, any of the flour uh, improvers, they're called. Yeah, you know, yeah, all these things. So they wouldn't be considered within real bread. But it's simply flour, water, salt, and if you're making a yeasted bread, yeast, and they can put in seeds or whatever, and fruits and all everything else into it. And that is what we consider real bread. In the UK, that term has now been defined, and it is an actual term. So people who do make bre- uh, bread, if they want to call it sourdough, it has to conform to that. Because the term, Andrew Whitley, when he started the real bread campaign over the UK, he's going... So it's about 12 or 13 years. No, it's probably a bit more since so maybe 15 years since starting that. And you see that hashtag everywhere globally now, this term mm-hmm. real, real bread. And so it has been recognized. And it'll, yeah, uh, and it's brilliant it'll to let people here. just know. Uh, it, uh, will it be recognized here? Hopefully, eventually. Hmm. That is, so then people can know uh, what it is or when a real bread. But anyone who's a member of the Real Bread Campaign or Real Bread Ireland, which is the like network, we all agree that we will make, well, you have to make at least one loaf without synthetic chemicals. Because mm-hmm. when we were starting it up, if we tried to make it at all your breads, there were very few bakers not making a soda bread. Because mm-hmm. that's so widespread within Ireland, especially at the time. It's a different so, thing, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. I, and I, I understand its place historically within Ireland. And it is so difficult to make breads w- without... Uh, Bicarbonate soda. Um, well, without refrigeration, which mm. was the thing, and without that knowledge. But for me, it totally de-skilled us in our baking knowledge. And we looked at the countries right across Scandinavia who would have similar climatic conditions, and they've got an immense understanding of rye and wheat. They still have all the range of grains. So within Ireland, we were talking about grains earlier on. There was no need to anymore to go for grains with higher protein content, with a lower yield, because that's not part of a soda bread culture. So you can just go for yield. And you can commodify all your wheat. And so there wasn't as, as important a, a factor. Brilliant. Can we finish up with chatting about the making bread at home? Yeah. So during the pandemic that we've just come out the other side of, we saw a huge movement towards people experimenting, getting a starter going, waiting the seven to 10 days, getting their starter nice and lively baking some sourdough at home, experimenting with different breads. I actually know quite a lot of people who, are, who have maintained it, who've kept it up, who are still doing it. Um, can we chat a little bit about making bread at home and how important teaching is to you in your bakery in growing the number of bakers in the country, raising the knowledge of making bread at home 
and generally uh, how important that is to to the business of a baker. So I think it was about, where are we now? It's about seven years ago, six or seven years ago, when uh, I was just looking around the country and just going how not resilient, how vulnerable we were as a nation uh, within our baking skills and our access. And we're, because we use bicarbonate soda so much and we don't produce it in Ireland, you know, it's, it's a synthetic industrial chemical for making limestone and we import it all. So we don't, if we do have, don't have access to the bicarbonate soda, what are we going to bake at home? And uh, so this is why we launched, came up with the idea of, uh, it was going to be the common loaf, we called it. And, what, uh, and so I based it around using a rye starter because rye grows really well in Ireland and we, you can grow it as part of an organic system, but we're not so concerned within it as in trying to get a really high protein, which can be difficult in wheat. And so but I'm using making it's really simple but to use a rice starter at home because you're not really so concerned with a, a white starter. You're, it's trying to get the gluten, making sure that's right. If you're trying to just get consistent when you've never made a loaf of bread before in your life. So if you just have some decently fermenting rye flour and you add it to strong white flour, give it a couple of folds and shake it, you'll get a decent enough loaf of bread. Mm. A bit of practice, you can get a beautiful loaf of bread. Mm. So we came up with this uh, this idea then. I was like, what can people bake it in? I was looking around. Traditionally, we have all these Pyrex dishes, and they're cheap to get. So that will turn any oven into a brilliant oven by baking your loaf off in a Pyrex dish. We can take it straight. So we came up with a recipe, a video. We produced all these and put it out there. And and it was out there, and I do a little few promotions at the electric picnic and different stuff talking about it. It's out there and going. And then all of a sudden, COVID hit. Mm. And all of a sudden, we had all this shift. People couldn't get flour. People mm. couldn't get bicarbonate. People couldn't get, there was all these resources. And people started going online and looking for online resources. And uh, Patrick Ryan of Firehouse, I think his, he went into several million views on his, like his recipe. And then people were contacting us, looking for ingredients. And we saw that people really do want to be making bread at home. And that it's easy when you have the time, but with a few basic knowledge about how to do it, you absolutely can't turn flour, water and salt into really good bread. When I was mentioning earlier about when we started our our bread school, and, uh, and part of that was to give that knowledge back to people, though people would hold it. And it was if people have the knowledge how to do it, the industrial bakeries won't hold all the knowledge. But we run series of classes within that, and people come back after a year, and year and a half, and kind of gone, I haven't bought a loaf of bread since, mm. and I can just make these breads. And just with those simple bits of knowledge, people absolutely can. And uh, we were the supply of strong white flour into the country, organic strong white flour. Uh, we were limited only by the courier couldn't carry the amount that he had to lift into it. But literally tons of it were going out a week. And we still do that. I would have sent out about a so, ton so a week. So tell us, how, how, can, how can people get access to the, the flour that you guys are selling? So through our, like we, oh, it was fortunate because we had our, we had an online store which supported the courses that we were doing. So that was already set up. So now we've launched that even further. One part of Brexit was that uh, you can't bring in organic goods anymore from, from Britain. So people who are buying directly small amounts from organic uh, mills over in the UK, shipping mill, can no longer bring them in. So we're now certified organic importers. So we can we have a license to bring in uh, all organic flour yeah. into the EU. 
So we bring that in as a, yeah, about four ton of it arrived two days ago. And we'll put that out over the next few weeks. And we just put another order in for another five ton today. And uh, we supply that. And it is, and it goes around, around the country. We, we would bag it up then in smaller quantities. Mm-hmm. So then people can then get it in one kilo, two kilo, three kilos, as well as the 16 kilo. And if you're baking on a monthly basis and buying it in these bulk orders, it becomes really uh, feasible. It's quite expensive to buy one kilo of flour. And we have, without that baking culture, mm-hmm. uh, where you do go to the continent and they can walk into a shop and you can buy three kilo, five kilo, 10 kilo bags quite easily mm-hmm. because you're baking at home and you're baking three loaves a week you're going to be going through a kilo and a half two kilos a week mm-hmm. anyway so you want to be buying like once a month if you want to buy huge quantities freshly milled wholemeal you get six months after milling strong white flour you get a year after milling so you don't be buying masses amounts of it as well if you're not going to be using it you do have For to sure. balance that out and uh yeah so people come back to us year after year on on, on their journey and uh and scaling up and it's just amazing to see yeah that they come back and, and they're doing it and they're baking it and some of them come back and go i'm baking two loaves a week some of them come back and say i'm baking 200 loaves a week and they're baking mm-hmm. it for their local communities mm-hmm. and it's just these same loaves that they started off doing and they're just mm-hmm. doing a market stalls and yeah and it's beautiful to see yeah it's just and it's something we really missed over the last year and a half where we had to close the school which just reopens and we've got another course this saturday which is amazing yeah, having those people back in is going to be uh and it's really fulfilling seeing the faces when people leave and they've created these beautiful loaves of bread. That's brilliant, Joe. Have you any any idea how many micro bakeries there are across the country? No, but as you're saying, there's about 150 members of Real Bread Ireland, so that would include chefs as well, or people, anyone who's kind of a small, like to become a member, anyone out there who is producing bread on a commercial basis or a miller or a grower or anyone kind of uh, engaged within that process of producing it uh, commercially can get involved with Real Bread Ireland and it's a wonderful support network and as I said some people are producing 10 loaves a week getting it started just giving it out to their sending it to either to their friends or small markets producing a couple mm-hmm. up to a couple of thousand you know up to several thousand but we we talk about what ovens to get what equipment all the different people sharing people sharing equipment moving it around the place mm-hmm. because that network didn't exist beforehand and now, and we like a single baker, we can't bake for everybody, but you want everybody to have great bread. So the best way we can do that is support bakers everywhere so that they can producing it locally. And then everybody can have access to great bread. Yeah. And, uh, and the for, really important to have that is true education. And it's by knowledge that people can then bake their own breads rather than share it with other people. Well, I'm usually a blind optimist, so I'm going to reckon that within four years there'll be double the amount of micro bakeries across the country. Yeah, as in, it's absolutely viable. As in, and, and they are doing it. It may not be only micro bakeries. Direct selling is, is a huge thing. So people have market stalls or people are just using spaces, breads are delivered to a space mm-hmm. and then they sell directly from there because when you have like the rent and stuff like that of a building, is a huge part of it. Road frontage, uh, street frontage or whatever. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's just going to be, what are they calling them now, dark kitchens or dark bakeries or whatever. Yeah, p- people d- at home and then bringing them to, to a like because the market says, or like, as you say, like, through the neighbor food system, mm-hmm. neighborhood food, you know, people bring them, getting directly to, to people mm-hmm. is, is a way. Uh, and we can talk, you know, we'll, we'll leave the bit of markets 
and that, how we had to fight for them. Remember the, the state tried to take all our markets away from us. Yeah. We, we stood. So that's a really important part, the actual the, the relationship between the seller and the, the people using it. Really Joe, thanks so much. Thanks a million. That was a lovely conversation, Jack. Thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, really nice. Joe's a good, good guy to chat to. He's super knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. If you want to check out more about Riot Rye, you can find them at rye.ie. They do fantastic baking classes. I think, to be honest, have you done a baking class, Jolene? I have, actually. I did one with my own local microbakery, Lighthouse uh, Microbakery in Crosshaven. It's really interesting. Um, got to say, I learned a lot from it. And he did actually tell us to look up... Uh, Joe's YouTube video so I have been victim to the pandemic sourdough revolution yeah. too. <laughs> we'll share the the Joe's sourdough video through our social medias so uh, that's it for this week I'd say yeah thank you very much thanks everybody for listening and over and out <laughs> over and out over and out <laughs> over he's and going out. for it over <laughs> and out <laughs>